0: Let's smooth out or round off the Dhamma discussion from Sunday. And that was about what to cultivate and what not to cultivate. And basically this teaching is telling us to be mindful of and to observe three things. The first, to do no harm. The second, to do good and the third, to purify the mind. This is the essence or the meat of the teaching, of the Dharma. To do no harm, to do good, and to purify the mind. Now, what is apparent to me is that there are a lot of people who are looking for an exemption. The teachings are absolute that we should do no harm. But there is this human inquiry that uh, says, "Well, but what if it's this, or what if this is happening? Can, am I am I licensed to to do violence?" And I think that. there was the use of agrarian analogies for a purpose, for a reason. So the first word is cultivate. We think about that in farming, cultivation, planting stuff, uh, making things grow, making things manifest. And in Christian theology, they have the analogy of reaping, and sowing, sowing and reaping. And I think these analogies were intentionally designed to correct our path, to enforce the path that we work, we we trod on and we practice on, so that we don't waver, so that we understand the law you know what is what is the law what is the governing energy that uh, this practice is trying to help us understand and in my opinion i think it's trying to show us that intention has nothing to do with the fruit of our harvest. That we can intend to grow oranges, but if we're throwing out onion seeds, it doesn't matter. We're still going to get onions. We're not going to get oranges, even though our intention is strongly governed or or directed by that, that I want want oranges for dinner. I want orange juice for breakfast. And so it's asking us to look at what it is we sow so that we will have no expectation that what we sow and what we reap will be different, that there is a direct correlation between the seeds we put in the ground or in manifestation and the harvest, the fruits that we receive from that sowing. So in the simile of the soul, the Buddha said, Disciples, abandon what is unwholesome and devote yourselves to wholesome states. For that is how you will come to grow, increase, and fulfillment. For this is how you will come to growth, Increase and in fulfillment in this Dharma and discipline. Abandon what is unwholesome and devote yourselves to what is wholesome. It says you should train yourself this way. There are the five courses of speech. When others address you, their speech may be timely or untimely. When others address you, their speech may be true or untrue. When others address you, their speech may be gentle or harsh. When others address you, their speech may be connected with good or with harm. When others address you, their their speech may be spoken with a mind of loving kindness or with inner hate. Herein you shall utter no evil words. We shall abide compassionate for their, their welfare and with a mind of loving kindness without inner hate. We shall abide pervading that person with a mind imbued with loving kindness and starting with him, we shall abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind similar to the catskin bag abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, without ill will. Now, the next paragraph says, that is how you should train. Even if bandits were to sever your savagely limb from limb with a mind of hatred toward them, you would not be carrying out my teaching. Even if someone is sawing you up, if you have a mind of hate, toward that person you are not practicing now again this is a hard bar to ascend to but all of the wisdom teachings that I'm aware of exhort us to encourage us to reach that level where we don't lose our heart and our love no matter what the other, the external reality is pushing on us or giving to us or handing us, that we should not lose our intention, we should not lose our love and our heart for that person and for the surroundings. That our minds will remain unaffected, and we shall not utter any evil words. We shall abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness without inner hate. Now in Christian scripture, it talks about loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you and, and despise you. So again, it's telling us to reside in our inner nature of love and peace and harmony, no matter what might be coming to us from the outside, that there is no there is no reason to lose our love no matter what's going on again. Hard to, hard to visualize because the mind immediately goes to the most extreme ex- example. What if someone's raping your two-year-old granddaughter? What if, you know, the most horrible thing imaginable. What should you do then? How do you do then? The only thing I can say, because I don't have the answer to that. I don't have the answer to what should you do or what will I do? I don't know. I'm inclined to teach from a position that says if we practice always being mindful of love and compassion without entertaining any unwholesome expressions in our heart and mind that when that opportunity comes when that experience comes where we are confronted with the unimaginable, the horrific, the tragic. Because our minds are inclined or has been for all of our practice inclined towards love and kindness and compassion, there will be an arising of a solution or resolution that embodies that intention. Right now, in our development, we can't see how that might be. You know, we're just saying, no way no way could I be loving to someone who's being violent to people that I love. But that's because you haven't confined yourself with the discipline of love. And once we do that, our solution, our resolution, our answer will arise out of that compassion. I don't know what it will be. You know, we, we, we have examples in this world. We, and I talked about this on Sunday about uh, uh, conscientious objectors, how they go into war without a weapon, how they save both their comrades and the enemy with equal energy. I think that the wisdom paths are asking us to trust, to have confidence in, in the wisdom of their teachings and to not be swayed by the smallness of our minds, not be frightened by what we don't know, what we can't see, and to have the confidence that at the moment of that experience, at the beginning of that experience, there will be an arising of just the right thing to do just the right thing to do. Again, I don't know what that right thing is, whether it, whether it would be the person who says, uh, let them go and take me. I don't know. But what I do know is that we have been given an example of people who make the ultimate sacrifice. And again, we're talking about conditions of war, perhaps, where one soldier jumps on a grenade to protect his comrades, his his buddies. We don't know what we will do. But the promise, it seems to me, is that if we adhere to and align ourselves with wholesome behavior, with non-destructive behavior, with loving and kind behavior, that there is a reward that is associated with that. Now, there's a caution that says, well, but don't do it for the reward." And that's another level and another example of the intricacy and subtlety of this teaching. But to do it out of love and to do it with your heart, with compassion, is what we are encouraged to participate in. And the promise is, if you do it that way, do not worry about the results. Do not... They say everything will be fine. Now, of course, our limited mind says, how, how could it be fine if, if they're now shooting at me or they're still shooting at my grandchild? How can it be fine? It says, when you get there, when it happens to you, you will see. But you have to go in with that love and that heart now, don't let that ultimate experience keep you from your practice. you know don't don't say, well, because I don't have a clear answer for what I can do or what will happen when Something horrific is happening to my grandchild and I don't really know what the direct course of action should be because I don't have that in my wisdom. Don't let that discourage you from practicing what you can handle. Do what you can do at this level of your life and your experiences. Do your best. Align yourself with living each moment, each day, in a position of harmlessness toward everything and everybody. We have examples in our everyday occurrences of people who say I'm trying to protect the ones I love and this is the way I'm going to do it and this justifies it. So, you know, we, we, have, we have these these protests that are going on now about the separation of parents and children and there's an outcry. Deservedly so, when youngsters are separated from their their parents. But you have people who say, we're doing this because we feel it's justified because of this. And so I'm saying that we can always... excuse ourselves, we can always find reasons not to align ourselves with with what has been expressed in our spiritual journey as correct behavior. But when we see that others also express that they should be able to do this because of their fear of that. And we don't don't buy into that. We say, no, you can do it a different way. You can handle it a different way. Well, if you can point that out to those who are of a different political persuasion or different spiritual persuasion or a different culture, then you must realize that you should also point your finger at yourself when it tells you that, well, in this case, I have an exempted reason for doing something outside of my practice. Do you understand what I'm sharing? We are here to not police others. We are here to do our best to do the right thing, not at the right time, but all the time in spite of what might be going on around us. And we certainly let the other guy know when they're not acting appropriately. So it is our responsibility also to let us know when we're not acting appropriately. That we must have as much faith in our faith, in our journey, in our practice. And if it doesn't give you that inspiration, then find one that does, whatever that might be. But it's important, again, going back to that very basic analogy of sowing and reaping. What you put into the ground, the seeds you cast, are what is going to be your harvest. No amount of wishing, praying, intention is going to make it any difference. If you put hate into the ground, you're going to grow hate. Intolerance in the ground is going to be intolerance, no matter what your intention is, no matter what. So I hope that my talk will touch something inside of you that will inspire you to arise to your greatest good. That's my hope. That's my intention. Thank you for listening. Are there any questions or comments?
1: Um, thank you. I, um, listening to you for the last few weeks mm-hmm. about focusing inward, focusing on our perception, our experience has been very, very, very helpful for me. It, it's a wonderful reminder that the only thing that we can control is our own reality through the transformation of perception, through loving awareness, Mm -hmm. through patience, non-reactivity, non-judgment, compassion. I mean, you can go on and on and on. And it's helped me greatly in just many ways in my own life. So thank you for the reminder.
0: Thank you for sharing. Appreciate it. Let's get to our practice then, in this moment. The understanding that nothing occurs without us not having a thought about it. That our our construction of an event in reality starts with the thought that I should do this or I should do that. And so the practice says, then that's where we should start our investigation. We shouldn't wait until it comes out here where I'm slapping you or snatching your children away from you or harming you or killing you. But it starts with me having an awareness of the presence of a mental suggestion, which we call thought. And the ability to examine that thought as as to its worthiness. But also what we learn is that is the initial part of the practice, the initial part of the work. But then we find that the more we think about a thing, the more we think about a thing. So if I start practicing thinking good thoughts, happy thoughts about myself and others, then I will be inclined to think good thoughts and happy thoughts about myself and others more often than I do now. So it's about looking at the mental landscape, finding the things embedded in my mental landscape that's unwholesome, abandoning those. How do you abandon them? By turning your back on them, by not listening to them, by not allowing them to influence your choices in life. And in the immediate presence, it's, it, it, it appears to be a lot of work because there's a lot of stuff in the head that we haven't done house cleaning with, we haven't cleaned out, we haven't gotten rid of it with, it's still there lingering around. That that snappiness, that cruelness in our voice when we are trying to put someone down or make someone know that they've done something inappropriate in our opinion. But it's about getting rid of all of those concepts and we don't have to push them out the door. We just have to turn our backs on them, and be inclined to think about more positive options for relationship. Whatever you think that might be, love, compassion, kindness, altruism, whatever you think works for you is what you work on. And what you'll find is those things will become more manifest and available in consciousness when you actually need them, when, you, when your buttons are being pushed by some experience out here, that they will flow up and inform you in a very positive way about what to do. So, this is the meditation. Going in and looking at mental objects or thoughts.
2: Before I meditate, I was wondering if you could help me. I, I'd like to have contact with real, genuine optimism.
0: You'd like to have contact with that? Yes. Then you've got to make contact with your faith. Your optimism, your energy... Mm-hmm. Is created by the confidence you have in what you're doing. In other words, I know this will work for me. And if you don't have that confidence, ask yourself why. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, are are you absorbed in your practice or is it just something you do on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Sunday? Are you committing to it on a daily basis? Are you reflecting on your experiences to see the differences in them since you've started applying your practice to your reality? That's the only way you'll know.
2: Okay.
0: By actively inviting your practice into your life. Otherwise, it's just, well, I think this might work if I come to this emergency. So... That's how you do it. If you're not doing that, do that. If you have done that and you still don't have the confidence, then my suggestion is that you look at other practices that might be more inclined to give you the confidence that you're looking for, the motivation, the energy that you're looking for, okay? Okay. That comes from you, though, doesn't come from the practice. All right. David?
2: Something that I've been practicing for a while, not consistently, but um, pretty regularly, is um, beginning my meditations with a metta practice. Mm-hmm. And so starting with you know the different levels of myself first, um, then somebody that's a benefactor, and then moving into um, someone that I don't know very well, like maybe someone at the grocery Mm -hmm. store, and then um, someone that I love, and then someone, the last place is to look at someone that um, I have aversion towards. Right. And so um, what I've learned so far, um, at some point I'll probably make up my own words, but the words that are helpful for me are um, may you be safe, may you be protected, may you be happy, may you be at ease, and may you be free. And then extending that, those thoughts on those different levels beginning with myself. And so as I practice that more often, I begin my meditation in a place that is a pretty beautiful space to begin the meditation. Yeah. And I repeat that often in my day. when I see people that I don't know, or um, you know, even you know people at the sangha in the room before I begin a meditation, and that's really opened my heart a little more. And it seems to be that there's something else for me to also. Uh, another level beyond that for me to reach, but it's really a good start for me. So I was wondering what you think about that.
0: I think that's a, that's a blueprint for success. You've got to do it, and you've got to examine the reactions that you have, the resistances of mind that you have when, you, when you're giving love to who you perceive as an enemy. As opposed to giving love to who you perceive as a friend or someone you love and and to begin to address that resistance to diminish that resistance to loving those that you that don't love you again because it's christian as Christian scripture dictates everybody loves who those who love them that's nothing special it's it's your ability to love the ones that don't love you, the ones that persecute you, the ones that, that just hate your guts. When you can be comfortable in your compassion and your love with them, then you know that you've got some real power going for you.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well, may we be happy, may we be peaceful. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.